Before we begin, I would like us to have a word of prayer because I feel that it's necessary for us to, to have the word of prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, we pray that you will be with us this morning and bless us as we attempt to go through some of the foundational concepts uh, that are undergirding health ministry. Help us to learn to be compassionate like Jesus, loving like Jesus, missionaries like Jesus, incorporating not just a lifestyle, but our very lives, health ministry. We pray it in your name. Amen. Sometimes we are asked for the biblical basis of health ministry, particularly when it comes to questions such as vegetarianism, and we are told that Jesus Christ ate fish. And they say, where do you get this in the Bible? They sometimes also are likely to ask us questions about alcohol. Dr. Landless, being in charge of the temperance portion of the health ministry portfolio, is often asked that question, well, obviously, wine in the Bible was alcoholic. People got drunk. They, they wouldn't say, you know, strong drink is a raging if people hadn't been drinking alcoholic drinks. And so the question that we uh, would like to start off with is to answer what is the biblical basis. If you read the policy, the General Conference Health Ministries policy, it requires, now this is a very interesting terminology, it requires of the membership an abstinence from alcohol, tobacco, and unclean foods. It doesn't say anything more about requirements. That being the case, we ask ourselves, why? See? Why does the church not say this, that, and everything else? Well, we, we believe, and it's not the health ministry's department that does that, but we believe in the wisdom of the General Conference Church assembly which meets together as the executive committee, for this committee represents all the unions in South America, all the unions in Africa, all the unions in Asia, all the unions in Europe, all the unions in, in, in Inter-America, all the unions in North America. So we have representation from a global church, and in the wisdom of the global church, they have not required anything more than that. Now you might say, well, why do we do that? Well, we hope as we go through that you'll understand the Adventist Church's focus on health stems for a concern for human well-being. We hope that you will recognize there is a biblical and scientific basis for the Adventist lifestyle and that we will introduce students to learn more about health for personal and community gain. If you start in the Bible, we start reading, we, says, uh, we say, what about the Bible? What did, what did Mrs. White say in Medical Ministries about these things? And she said, upon all created things is seen the impress of the deity. Nature testifies of God. The susceptible mind brought in contact with the miracle and mystery of the universe cannot but recognize the working of infinite power. The fundamental foundational aspect of health ministry lies in the fact that God is our creator. Now you may argue about how God did this or did that. You may wonder about whether woman came from Adam's rib, how was that done? You can, that's all process. But God did it. God brought us into being. And because of this, we believe most fervently that he as our creator revealed his will and explanation to us in Genesis. 
and we take the book of Genesis and we believe that is the way we have to understand things. Now, you know, sometimes I read people saying, he paints the lily. You know, well, I don't believe that God got down on his knees and said, let lilies come, and then sat down and, and painted different colors on them. You know, that, that's a very simplistic approach that maybe we talk poetically about it like that. But we believe that God created. We also believe, and this is foundational to the understanding of the biblical basis of our, uh, our health ministry, he created us perfect, but we are fallen. Now, I once bought, when I was in Botswana, I, 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 I liked malachite. How many of you know what malachite looks like? Malachite is a green stone. It has copper elements in it. It's quite expensive. And in Africa, they would carve various things out of it. And usually, the price of a carving would be anywhere in the days that I'm talking 30 years ago, would be at the price range of maybe 50 to to $100 for a little carving. And I went into a store, and I saw a beautiful carved malachite rhinoceros. Hmm, it looked good. And so I looked and picked it up, and the price... It was $14, and I thought, they've mislabeled it. So I took it, and I said, is this $14? They said, yeah, that's $14. So I bought it, and I took it home and showed it to my wife. This is my wife, Janet, who we didn't introduce Janet to. And Janet said, well, it looks very nice. But you know, as they say, I might be a good doctor. She's a great nurse, because she advertised. She, she, she noticed the detail. She said, but you see, this leg has been broken off and glued back on. Broken. All right. Cheapened. No longer worth what I thought it was worth. But not so when it comes to us. You see, though we were broken, God still valued us. He didn't devalue us like that store did. That's also a basis for understanding health ministry because we bring to the ministry the gracious compassion, acceptance, and value of every single one of God's creatures broken Worse or not, they are all of value. How much are they worth? How much are they worth? They are worth the blood of Jesus Christ. Because upon all created things is the impress of deity. Creation's story leaves no doubt as to the purpose of God in having all things well. But it was disobedience that carried the consequences of death. It was not his will that we should die. It is not his will that we should be sick. It is the consequence of death. So Adventists bring to the understanding of pain and disease and death this very important concept. You want me to stay more this side? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Interrupt you, but since you're roaming about, we actually need somebody to move the camera, and it wasn't started. Well, Eric can do that. Eric, you be the cameraman. Right. I choose him because he's most likely to be able to do it well. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So welcome to this group on the Foundations of Health. My name is Alan Handysides. I'm the Health Ministries Director for the General Conference, and I'm here to talk about this morning the biblical basis of our health ministry. Welcome to you all. They're going to edit this, so, you know, this is how it is on Hope Channel. We can make mistakes. My mic's not on. Oh, okay. 
<laughs> so you do want I'm this mic. I'm glad I did a yes. audio check. Yeah. Okay, we'll just go double mic just like that, and you can put it on your yeah, put that one belt in. or in your pocket, yeah. whichever you prefer. Put it in my pocket, yeah. <laughs> She'll go shopping. <laughs> Welcome to this class on the foundations of health ministry, Adventist health ministry. We are going to talk today about many things, but the first talk we're talking about is the biblical basis for our understanding and philosophy of Adventist health ministry. And so I'm very glad that you have been able to come here. You've come from many different parts and many different countries and states. Welcome, and I hope that you enjoy the program. Sometimes we talk about the Eden diet. And when we talk about that, I, I wish that we could have the Eden diet. Because the Eden diet included the tree of life. It was not the tree of life that was forbidden. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so when we say, let's go back to Eden, maybe we can't go back to Eden. Maybe if we read our scriptures, we are reminded that there were two angels with the sword, waving the sword and barring them to go back. Because the Lord said, if they were to take of the tree of life, it had corrective powers even for their sinful state. So the tree of life is a mystical and a wonderful poorly comprehended element of the Garden of Eden that we can't go back to unless we go through the portals of Jesus Christ who will take us into heaven. And there, there is a river that runs from the throne of God. And at the sides of it is the tree of life bearing 12 manner of fruits, one every month, and whose leaves are for the healing of the nations. So we will be able to have the Edenic diet, but it's not here. Because the Edenic diet will be back in heaven. And so it's good for us to remember this, because all trees had been available to them. You see, God said, I have given you every herb that yields seed. You can tell I'm an Englishman when I say every herb. Now, just so that I will acknowledge my presence here in America, I will repeat that. And God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. But this was given before the fall. This is an Edenic diet. This includes the tree of life. And so, when they went by the sweat of their brow to harvest produce from the earth, including things like root vegetables, which are not mentioned here, when they began to work among the thorns and pick the berries on the bramble bushes, when they had, under the curse of their fallen situation, to procure for themselves a diet, it is a strange but true fact that there was one ingredient missing from the diet, and that is vitamin B12. Strange though it is, people who would live on just a plant-based diet will become deficient in vitamin B12. And when they become deficient in vitamin B12, they will lose their neurological component and efficacy. They will lose their total capacity to make blood. And so it was that Ellen White said, when she talked about dairy, she said, the time has not yet come when we can give up things like milk and eggs. Remember, she was talking before vitamin B12 had been known. But she said she believed in the provision of God that he would create and make possible for people to maybe find substitutes, but they weren't there. 
we're very fortunate that science was able to identify in the 1930s. They were able to identify vitamin B12. They were then able to create what we call health foods, some of which were not so healthful, but health foods. And today, an appropriate health food will be one that is a dairy equivalent. In other words, when we talk in our health ministries and we talk about four health groups, we are ignoring the fact that we are no longer in Eden and we really need the dairy equivalent in our diet for full health. And that's why it is so good that Sanitarium Foods has produced so good, yeah, that's the trade name, which is a milk, a soy milk, that is fortified. Now, I remember saying to the, to the, uh, to the uh, CEO of Sanitarium Foods, how much does it cost you to fortify each, each liter of your so good milk? He said it costs us 11 cents. You know, there are some health reformers who lack integrity and set up a business to produce so-called soy milk but do not fortify it with that 11 cents per liter's worth of fortification and produce and sell bean juice, which is a soy juice extract, without the fortification. And we'll say to people, substitute this for the dairy component. How many of you are familiar with the story of Dr. Chris? Do you know the story of Dr. Chris? You don't know the story of Dr. Chris? Dr. Chris was a very uh, strong leader. He later actually became the direct medical director of the Washington Adventist Hospital in Washington where we are. He became very ill. He was following a very strict total plant-based diet. And as he followed the total plant-based diet, he became aware that he wasn't feeling as robust and vigorous. Eventually, he became more and more sick until finally he was lying in bed and they thought that he was going to die. So strongly did they believe that he was going to die that they purchased the coffin. And the coffin was in the living room while Dr. Cress was lying in his bedroom getting ready to die. When a letter came from Ellen White. And the letter from Ellen White told him that he was to take raw eggs and mix them in with grape juice. And as he mixed the raw eggs with the grape juice, he began a road to recovery. For vitamin B12 was present in those egg yolks. Now, there are sources of vitamin, D to, uh, vitamin B12 today that don't have to come from egg yolks. But by this type of experience, it dawned on the early Adventist believers that perhaps a total plant-based diet was not appropriate at that time. But, she said, the time may come when we will be able to take a diet that is free from dairy. And that time is here today. It is present so that people can now use foods that are fortified with vitamin B12. But let's go back to the church's policy of requiring, requiring freedom from tobacco, freedom from alcohol, but not necessarily freedom from animal foods. Why? Because although in America and many parts of the world, we don't as a global church have the capacity to provide to everybody a diet that contains vitamin B12. So you see, the church is very wise in recognizing that we have work in Lapland. We have work in the Philippines. We have work in Africa. I've seen a man die of a total plant-based diet in Africa. 
It's sad to say that I've seen him die of a plant-based diet when that's what we're promoting. But unconscious is the fact that we are able to get vitamin B12 in North America and in many parts where you come from because we are fortifying the foods with vitamin B12. So I hope you understand now as I've gone through this a little bit that going back to Eden sounds terrific, but it's really going forward to heaven that it has to be for us because we are broken. This morning in worship, I emphasized the gift of health. It is so very important to our ministry that we realize God is our creator. You know, it was Peter that said, God is our creator. You did not make yourselves. All right? And we have to realize that the health we enjoy, to whatever extent we enjoy it, is a gift. And we have to understand that disease and brokenness is the curse brought upon by mankind's disobedience. We brought it on ourselves. It's a satanic intervention into the plan of God. So whatever extent we talk about health, let us always talk about it as the gift. I have a grandson. I have two grandsons. I have five grandchildren. Two grandsons, three granddaughters. I was in the Philippines and I bought for my little boy a gift. You know, in the Philippines they are very, very clever people. And there they were, they were making little motorcycles out of coat hangers, you know, winding the car. Wire. And this was a beautiful little motorcycle. And I paid a lot of money for it. Because when you're in the Philippines and you've got a face like mine, they say, twice the price. You see, no, they don't quite say it like that, but when you say how much, they always say $20. See? Now, maybe you could get it for $10 if you spoke Tagalog, but for me, it was $20. But that was a good price because there was a lot of work in there. And I brought this little motorcycle home. It was about this big, you know, and I gave it to my grandson. He loved it. But you know, he was a little too young for it. Because little boys at his age, they wanted to make the motorcycles go this way and that. And you know, this was more an ornament than it really was a toy. And I remember going back to see him a few months later, and there was the motorcycle. His mother had now put it on the top shelf of the, of the uh, set of uh, book bookcase. And I looked at it and I said, oh, there's the, does he like that? And I went to take it down and it fell apart in my hands. He had broken the motorcycle. God gave us health. Do you think when we broke it, he loved us any the less? Did I say to my grandson, you naughty bad boy, you broke that gift. Huh, that's a terrible thing. You are a very bad boy. Did I, did I say that? Not at all. I realized that he had not been able to comprehend the nature of the gift. And some of us in health ministries don't comprehend the nature of the gift. We think we do it. Like I said, the Pharisees said, what must I do to live to a hundred? See, I'm paraphrasing. What must I do, not to have eternal life, what must I do to live to a hundred? That's the question we ask. Instead of realizing, God, what have you done that I may live to a hundred? And he has planted within us those forces of health and of life that we may live to his glory. But we must always remember, we are broken. Conserving of health, then, is the message of health ministry. How does this, and why do I talk about this right at the beginning? Because sometimes in our health ministries, we start off and we start talking about things like preventing cancer. 
Have you heard people talking about preventing cancer? Preventing diabetes. Preventing high blood pressure. Preventing. It is not in our power to prevent that which is inevitable. But it is in our power to do everything we can to preserve and conserve the health that God has given and push off that fateful day. But I've yet to see, I've yet to see anybody that lives forever. Now I know that there was Enoch and there was Moses and Elijah. You know, that, that, that I know, but, I, but I, I have never seen even in the Adventist church anybody live forever. And when you look at the Adventist health study, and we're going to be talking about that later on. This is a comprehensive course, so we're going to tell you lots of things. When we get into it, you will find out that even in the Adventist health study, Adventists die of the same diseases that other people die of. So we don't prevent them. We defer them. We delay them. By the blessing of the Lord, we are given longer. Like Hezekiah was given another 15 years, we are given a longer life. Let's pray that in the extended life we put it to good use. Because sad to say, Hezekiah gave birth in the extended 15 years that he had to a very wicked son who became the king of Israel. And I wonder sometimes whether God in his providence, had he not been dissuaded by Hezekiah's plea, whether God in his providence would not have actually given a blessing in the death of Hezekiah. So it takes a shift in mentality. It takes a little shift in mentality. We view health as a gift. This will cause a shift from a legalistic, self-satisfied mentality to one of appreciative gratitude. See the difference? One is of appreciative gratitude, a desire to take God's gift and use it in the very best possible way. I've told you about the motorcycle. The diet in the Garden of Eden was plant-based. There's no doubt about it. The documentation does not, however, exclude other items from the menu. I can't be sure that they didn't use honey in the Garden of Eden. Not from the biblical record. I'm not saying they did. But it's, it, it's not possible for us to be dogmatic that they did not use honey. I, I, I can't even be certain that they, that they didn't use the root vegetables, although we don't hear about root vegetables until outside the garden. And maybe legumes. We can't say they were not available in the garden. We just have to be, if we're going to be honest, if we're going to have integrity, we have to be a little bit flexible in our interpretation. Because the exact nature of the vegetarian diet available before and after the fall cannot be confirmed through the Bible, though we have thoughtful commentary on it from several sources. Now, the Bible does talk about clean and unclean animals. And the church requires of its members the abstinence from unclean flesh foods. We do this because it's unequivocal there. You know it says the animals prior to the flood came in twos and sevens. The explicit, explicit permission to eat the clean animals appears for the first time after the flood. But the fact that they came in sevens when they were clean animals and two by two in the unclean animals indicates that it was already in the mind of God that they were going to need to eat those animals. Especially, perhaps, after the flood when seed had not been planted, when there had not been a springtime and a harvest, when the earth was denuded and the earth was in a state of chaos. So you see, we have to look at the provisions that God makes for our fallen state in the same way that we look at maybe some of the medications that we as physicians may give to our patients. They are not necessarily the ideal, but given the condition 
of the individual patient who is in illness or in brokenness, they may be the appropriate thing for that condition. So don't feel too badly that your church requires only the abstinence from unclean foods and permits people to eat these permits people to eat these clean foods. It's not that the church is unaware of the fact that maybe there is a better way, but under the circumstances in which people find themselves living. I've lived, well, for a short period of time, up in Hudson Bay there, in the northern, northern Canada. I don't know what it's like to live there all the time. Let me tell you, half the year they're in ice and snow. Every vegetable that is purchased has to be flown in. Uh, they are living in very difficult conditions. Uh, the price of things, for us to go there and say to them, you may not eat fish. We could find ourselves on, on sticky biblical grounds. So in the wisdom, in the wisdom of the church, yeah, the wisdom of the church, they have not made this a requirement. And if you are going to represent the church in health ministries and do so with integrity, we have to realize that right from the very beginning. And so we're saying this, putting it right from the beginning. You're going to hear lots of things, but right from the beginning, we need to understand that we are promoting the most healthful lifestyle under whichever circumstances life is found to be possible. You know, some people make a lot about lifespans. The antediluvian and post-diluvian lifespan was very different. Many have correlated this with diet. But we must remember that the problem with the flood was the prevalence not necessarily of a non-vegetarian diet, but of sin. God headed up to here with the sinfulness of people. And sin carries with it the repercussions to the third and to the fourth generation. Sin it is that could very be, very well be the correlation. Now what is the rationale for clean and unclean foods? You're going to be asked this question. Most commentators agree that the Levitical list separates the herbivores from the predators and scavengers. You know, you, you, they, they, they say vultures, don't eat vultures, you know, but maybe the dove, you could, they could eat the dove. It, it separates the healthy, clean animal, and, which poses much less risk than the scavenger type. But that's not possible for us to read in the Bible. We're talking biblical basis here. It's not possible for us to read that into the Bible. I wonder sometimes whether the lesson is constantly being brought home that we are saved by the righteous blood of Jesus. And so any animal that was to be sacrificed as a type, as a type of Christ, had to be clean. It had to represent in their minds that this was a representative sacrifice because it was the unblemished life of Jesus Christ that was given on our behalf. And that's the lesson that God was trying to get through to those people in, in, in ancient Israel. The instruction against blood and fat. Blood and fat enhance the quality uh, in the instruction against blood and fat enhances the quality of flesh foods. If people are going to eat flesh foods, they want less blood and less fat. Now, that's contrary to modern practices. Modern practices for cattle are such that what do they want to do? They want to marble the meat. What does that mean? They want to create animals through selection and so forth whose muscle has fat marbled throughout the meat. Why? It makes it more tender, it makes it taste better. But it is, it is really an aberration of what God was saying. Don't eat the blood, don't eat the fat. Now, seafood, the instruction about fins and scales, separates shellfish, crayfish, lobsters, all the scavengers of the bottom of the ocean. Today, when you talk about seafood, it invariably is all these scavengers because they fished the oceans almost completely empty of the fish. We've polluted the oceans so that you can go to the uh, 
Northwest Pacific gyre and see all this slowly rotating mass. It has become the garbage dump ocean of plastic and all the waste products that we dump into the ocean through our pollution of the environment. And the little fish are eating, the krill, the tiny krill are eating particulate matters of plastic. They're plug plugging their gut. And then the other creatures are eating them. So the whole of this seabed has become changed and polluted. And of course, it's these creatures that can spread diseases such as typhoid. When I was a kid, we used to sing... Almost finished. We, yeah, no, it's time. We, we used to sing in Dublin's fair city where maids are so pretty. I first set my eyes on sweet Molly Malone. Do you know that song? That's because she probably got a Polish background. And it's, you see, the song used to go, I first set my eyes on sweet Molly Malone as she wheeled her wheelbarrow through the streets broad and narrow, crying cockles and mussels alive, alive, oh. So she was selling these ocean belly predators. And what did she do? She died of a fever and no one could save her and that was the end of sweet Molly Malone. Now her ghost wheels a barrow. You see? And the song went on. But she probably got typhoid fever because of the products she was selling which were sitting in the sewer, our effluent waste products of the river as the, as the sewage went in and the salmonella got into those organisms. And so that's why Ellen White says, you know, the conditions on earth are becoming such that even fish may become polluted. Even fish, see? So in her mind, fish was not included in the instruction of the flesh foods that she had, the red meats, but because of the pollution, because of the dangers of the times, she saw that even fish could, be, could become harmful. Any animal, and this is another biblical injunction, that dies of other causes should not be eaten. I once had a patient come in really sick in Africa, and as I looked at the patient, I said, man, what, what, what's, been, what's led up to this? And the, the relative said, he ate dead meat. I said, well, do they ever eat any other kind of meat but dead meat? And she said, well, we mean it was dead on the side of the road. And he probably had come down with botulinum poison. Here's dead meat sitting there at the side of the road, and hungry guy that he was, he'd eaten dead meat. The Bible would have told him not to do that. The Bible gave all kinds of regulations about personal hygiene. The Bible gave all kinds of uh, regulations about contagious diseases. The Bible talked about quarantine. Quarantine is, is such a very important aspect of the control of epidemics. The Bible didn't know about bacteria, doesn't mention about viruses, but it even talked about clothing being burned from these people who had been sick. And you know, it's a sad, sad mark in the history of the development of Americas that some of those early settlers battling for land with the Indians were willing to give to them blankets that had been used by those dying with smallpox, hoping that perhaps they would contract the smallpox that their previous owner had had, and that smallpox could spread among the Indians. But the Bible said not only were clothes to be washed, the patient was to be washed, hair was to be shaved off. As a pediatrician, I would be aware of epidemics of lice, head lice, going through the groups, and we would look at the hair and see the little tiny eggs on the hair. So shave the head would get rid of all of those things. The Bible was a wonderful thing. You know, the, the, the time of seven days required for cleansing after menstruation was also important. Seven days for cure. Seven days after a woman has menstruated, she must, must, must go without sexual activity. That was a fertility thing, a gift. All of the instructions in the Bible were given so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. We need to bring health message so that it is such a positive, such a living, such a vibrant 
and, and stop our arguments about the one that eats meat or doesn't eat meat, or the one that does, drinks milk and doesn't drink milk. Let them be convinced and convicted, not because we argue, because convince a man against his will, he's of the same opinion still, you see. So let's do it because we, we know that they want to be healthy, and we want them to be healthy too. The spiritual implications of a relationship with the Lord were given long before scientific examination of such relationship was explored. Today, these are being actively explored. It is no longer in any doubt that a beautiful, peaceful, harmonious relationship with God will result in a more peaceful, harmonious frame of mind. And even non-religious, non-believing scientists are recognizing the benefit that comes from uh, these relationships. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So here we have some of the biblical approaches, this holistic approach, that from the dust of the ground, given the breath of life, man becomes a living soul, this composite whole of creation now is the basis of our Adventist health, which is physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. We are indeed the temple of God. We must make our temple the place where God lives, unlike the temple that I mentioned this morning when I, in worship, where it became representative of so many things, of human avarice, of human pride, of nationalism, of political intent. The temple is not meant to be that. The temple is meant to be the dwelling place of God. Spirituality is the indwelling of God's spirit. Far cry from the do-it-yourself spirituality and new age thinking. And I think that's about as much as I'm going to tell you because of the shortage of time. Now, we're going to give you all of this because it's all in the... It's all in the manual. Plus, plus, better than that. I, I, I've told you I wasn't able to find the illustrated one, but we've got them all illustrated. We're going to give everybody who completes this course, we're going to give you a full set of the PowerPoints that do, and the lectures, for the full 80 lectures. But we're not going to give it to you <laughs> if you don't attend the full course, all right? We're giving all of this to you. You're not paying for this. Some of the other classes, they want money for the thing. You've already paid for this. You pay your tithes. You pay your offerings. We're at the general conference. We cannot produce materials and charge you for them. And we have enough money to afford the few handbooks that we give out to you. So there is no charge to you for this. But if you attend fully, you will receive a certificate that you have done the full time. We're going to give you a test. I want you to now turn in your book and go to the back of the first lesson, the back of the first lesson, end of the first lesson, and you will see there some questions. Now, not only are we, not only are we um, requiring that you do a test, but we are gracious and compassionate. So we are at the back. You can see there are two questions. Go to the back, and you will see two questions. They're multiple-choice questions. They may be more difficult for our Spanish-speaking group. Yes, and I think if you could uh, somehow uh, see what we can do for that, yes. We will choose 30 questions from among the 60 that you see here, and we will give you these as part of your test. And then we give you a certificate. Now, some of you may wish to have some kind of credit. Yes, more, yeah, more, more, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of you may wish to have, some of you may wish to have credit for this. For this abbreviated course, I believe it may be possible for to get you one credit hour with Griggs University at Andrews. For the full 80, we've been able to get three hours for the MA, but we don't think that you can do that in this one, in this abbreviated course. But we will be able to get you one credit hour if you are interested. 
Now for that, there has to be a charge because it's not in our hands. And so we would have to write to Griggs, and I think they charge $25 for the issuing of a certificate. You may not need it. One credit hour doesn't do much for, you know, unless you're, unless you're studying for something and you need that credit hour to just shove it in as a general credit. It, it, it's cheap at $25. But that's really for the issuing of the certificate and the paperwork that's involved. But if, uh, if not, we will give you a certificate that you have attended this foundation's course from the General Conference Health Ministries Department. Go through those questions. They start off very easy. So the first questions on this first thing are, are pretty easy. They will get a little more difficult as you, we progress into the, into the lessons. Are there any questions? The importance of the, cl the clean and unclean foods is that, that this is a requirement of the church. So that, that for Adventists makes it important. It's important because God talked of these other animals as being an abomination. They became, they, they were very important to God. And, and it's important perhaps in, in talking to the ancient Israelites that they understood that the sacrifice... The animal of the sacrifice was to only be clean because it was going to be the perfect sacrifice of Christ Jesus, the sinless sacrifice of Christ Jesus that would atone. So there may have been elements of that in the thinking. You know, it's difficult for us to say that it's because of what the animals eat. A horse eats the same as a cow. So it's very easy for us to say, well, you know, the, 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 it's what they eat that makes them clean or unclean, but that's not the case because the horse is unclean, the cow is clean. So there was something else in God's mind other than that. It may have had something to do with the culture of the times, we don't know. But for me, I believe that if God says it, that's good enough for me. Whether I can find a scientific explanation or not, I'm going to follow it. But it is true that in the Airman's book, for the American um, Air Forces, and uh, they were said, if you find yourself shipwrecked, shipwrecked on an island, and they gave them a whole manual of the types of fish and things that they could eat. But at the very end, when they came to the very end of that manual, they said, if you are in doubt, anything that has fins and scales, you can eat it. But if it doesn't have fins and scales and you're in doubt, don't eat it. And so that's going back to the old Levitical order. And that was a marine biologist that had written that book and wrote that recommendation. So in the simplicity of the word is a profundity of understanding that we don't always understand, but God does. And so it's much easier to follow his word than it is to necessarily think that we can scientifically prove or disprove why he said it. Yes, sir. No, there is a lot of evidence. There's a lot of evidence that scavengers, and especially pork, or, or the pig, is a, is a poorer kind of meat. There are far more diseases that are attendant on the eating of, of, of swine flesh than there are of others. The fat content is a higher saturated fat. The, the fatty, uh, fatty acid composition is, 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 is more atherogenic. The parasites, there are more profound in, in their flesh. So there is a great deal of evidence that you are healthier eating the clean foods than, than, than the unclean. Not in every situation, but by and large, there's, there's good evidence for that. But we don't make it on a scientific basis because we will get into difficulty in some of the, some of the arguments. So we, we prefer to say thus saith the Lord. If the Bible were written today, it would not be the Bible. But we believe it might be the message of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And so we can't make those kind of claims, that is presumption. Because in Scripture it says we should neither add to nor subtract from the Scripture. 
and, and we, we, we would not presume to do that. But as we progress through here, you will begin to understand. We start with the biblical instruction. But we believe we are an end-time people. We believe that the message for the end time is very appropriate. And a well-balanced vegetarian diet, we believe, is the very best diet. But we are not going to argue that we can rewrite the Bible. Nor are we going to argue that Ellen White could rewrite the Bible. Because she said, I am a lesser light pointing to the greater light. So let us always keep the Bible in its autonomy and its beauty. Uh, yes, we are going to talk about other things. We're going to add things. They weren't smoking tobacco in the Bible. So our stance on tobacco is totally different. See? They didn't drink tea and coffee in the Bible. They didn't take methamphetamine, opiates, and all of this kind. But so we have had, we, sure, we have moved, but we're not going to rewrite the Bible because we're going to say we believe inspiration through Ellen White. We talk, talk in testimonies to the church. We believe that. And then we use science. So we say in health ministries, the Bible first, spirit of prophecy, and then an evidence-based science. Now, why do we say evidence-based? Because there are many so-called scientific studies that don't hold up. They just don't hold up. One study is not a scientific evidence base. We have to have many studies because now we are no longer on the sure word of the Bible. We are now on man's investigations. So now we need to be a little more careful. But you will hear a lot of this as we go through the foundations of health ministries. This media was produced by Audioverse for the NAD Health Summit. If you would like to learn more about the NAD Health Summit, please visit www.nadhealthsummit.com or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.